Well, good morning. I didn't know if anybody was going to show up after yesterday. I think we just need to join together in a moment of silence. Thank you. I feel much better now. Honestly, you know, I am so thankful. I woke up this morning and just said, thanks, God, for letting me live in the state of Nebraska. There is no place like Nebraska. So I'm glad you're here. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Ephraim. Um, just want to say welcome to all of you, those of you here in the auditorium, those of you watching in the venue, and those of you joining us online. We just want to say thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. You matter to us, and we appreciate it. So we are, again, picking up in our series on the Minor Prophets. Is it Haggai or Haggai? The answer is... Yes, whichever you want is just fine. I will refer to him as Haggai. So before we dive in, though, I want you to stop and think just a minute about your place you call home. Home is a great place. If you are anything like me, there are days you just almost run home You open the door, you toss down your keys, you grab something refreshing to drink, kick off your shoes, find your favorite chair, plop down, and (sighs) heave a deep sigh of relief. Homes are a great place. What a refuge from the weather, from the troubles of the world, And it's okay to enjoy them. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us that God gave everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful that he loves us that much to give us everything for our enjoyment? But we also have to recognize there is the danger, isn't there, in us settling into the busyness, the rhythm of trying to accumulate more things for our homes, having activities that center around the home. We go out, we come back, we scurry around, we do all these things, all in an attempt to try to make this earth our home when by no means is it. And that is the context of the book of Haggai. If we look at our uh, timeline of the book of Haggai, you'll note that this is all B.C., by the way. In, in, uh, prior to 559 B.C., the Israelites were there for about 70 years as captives in the Babylonian Empire. And in 559 B.C., Cyrus became king of the Persian Empire, And by 539, Cyrus had completely defeated the Babylonian Empire and raised the Persian Empire to the top of the world. And at that point, Cyrus decrees the return of the Jewish exiles to Judah, led by the Jewish uh, governor Zerubbabel, and they immediately begin to work on rebuilding the temple of God, which was destroyed by the Babylonians, Solomon's temple had been completely destroyed. It was in rubble, and they began to rebuild it. But not without some opposition from their Samaritan neighbors, who eventually got Cyrus to decree the stopping of that temple. And so 
It stopped in 537, but not before they were able to get the temple foundation laid and the altar rebuilt. And then from there, we see in 522 BC, Darius rises to power in the Persian Empire after Cyrus. And two years later, God sends the prophet Haggai to his people in Jerusalem. And he prophesies to them. Haggai himself may have been in his 70s. He may well have been one that saw the glory and the splendor of the former temple. We don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. But what we do know is that he he gave us four prophecies and all within a time period of four months, a very brief period of time that we're going to study this morning. But that first prophecy was God asking his people to rebuild the temple, pick it up again, let's get going kind of a thing. The The last three are... Uh, words of encouragement. And once they put their hands to the work, they needed some encouragement. And so he did that in the last three prophecies. And so they be, they, the temple construction resumed in 520. And somewhere in that time period, again, the Samaritans uh, challenged it. But this time, King Darius decreed that it be finished. And four years later, it was in 516 B.C., But it's this time period, 537 to 520, 17 years that the temple foundation or rebuilding had stopped. Imagine what would happen to that foundation in 17 years, okay? Picture weeds growing up between the stones. Hear crickets chirping, sun beating, no activity. What were they doing for that 17 years? They were spending their time building their houses. In fact, it says they built them with paneling, cedar paneling. They were enjoying their lives just like us. Oftentimes we get so caught up in the busyness of life, they were just busy doing life. And they had totally forgotten about the temple. And we pick up here in Haggai 1, 2 through 4. It says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? You know, it's really easy for us to think, well, you know, I just don't have time. You know, I'll get around to helping out with church things, but you don't have the time right now. And God is saying, well, when is the time? Apparently, it's time for us to mill about, to and fro, building our homes, making this world our home when it's not. And we might think, well, you know, Charles, I hate to tell you this, but there, there is no earthly temple anymore. We, we don't need to go over there and build anything. Well, that's true. But he is in the process of building a spiritual temple called the church, made up of those who've responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, both apostles Peter and Paul both recognized this. Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5a. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy 
priesthood. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers to God, that is, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It is this very temple that Jesus commissioned us to go and to build by baptizing and teaching. So see, we aren't off the hook completely. (laughs) God asks us to join him in building his temple, his house. And the same question to those Jerusalem Jews is the same one for us. Is it time? When is it time? Is now the time? Is it time for us to enjoy our houses when God's house is in still desperate need of being built? And what happens to us when we fail to realize our calling and we settle into the unconscious concern solely for our own houses? And mind you, I'm in this together with you, (laughs) okay? This is a message just as much to me as it is to anybody else. Settling into having greater concern for our house than God's house leaves us neither fulfilled nor blessed. Haggai 1, 5 through 6 says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Recognize that it is impossible for the pursuit of earthly things to bring fulfillment. In fact, the apostle Paul says that the desires of the flesh are insatiable. They cannot be satisfied. There's always a craving for more. And if you want any example of that, being the case for all of us as humans, every parent can think about giving your child their most coveted Christmas gift. Oh, I so want this one. You give it to them, and what? Three days later, it's over in the corner, and they want something else. It's just the nature of us as human beings. When we try to think that we can gain fulfillment out of things, our houses and all the things we can put in them, we will never be fulfilled. Haggai 1.9 goes on. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house, literally while each of you runs to your own house for safe haven, for enjoyment, For relaxation, I have no place to call home. The pursuit of earthly pleasures as an end is an endeavor that God cannot bless. He blew away everything that they did. 
Now, before we fault God as some stick in the mud who doesn't want us to enjoy things ever, right, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would open up a bank account and fill it full of funds to provide for your adult child's meth habit? I would guess none of us would. Why not? Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we bless that activity? They're, they're just trying to be happy. Well, I know you might think that's different, Charles. Well, but really, is it? I mean, I understand that the use of meth will more quickly lead to the destruction of the well-being of the one that is seeking relief by using it, right? It's going to happen fairly quickly. But how many of us are milling about seeking to find fulfillment and relief from the inner feeling of meaninglessness and emptiness through the regular fixes of earthly things? Both the meth addict and the materialist are both on a path of self-destruction. And because God loves us, and has compassion on us. In fact, we saw one of the dads up here, the kind of love he has for his daughters. That's the kind of love God has for us. He loves us too much to bless an endeavor where we're seeking to make this home, this earth, our home. So they, God asks them to consider their ways and to repent and to change to give to stop putting so much emphasis on their own houses and to begin the work of building his and they did that Um, but I want you to recognize that in doing that God did not ask them to completely abandon their houses he didn't say I want you to give up your house and start building mine now nor did he even ask them to stop enjoying their houses He just asked them to be mindful not to neglect the building of his house for the enjoyment of their own. In Haggai 1.12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, and the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Mm. They recognized their fault, and they repented. Paul encourages us in 1 Timothy 6.17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. But recognize that we can truly only enjoy the blessings God gives us when we cease to put our hope in the gift and instead put our hope in the giver. If we put our hope in the gift, we will be met with unfulfillment. When we put our hope in the giver of gifts, we can enjoy them. 
So what happens when we take the challenge to heart? What happened to them? When they took the challenge to heart out of proper respect to God to begin the work of finishing his temple? What happens to us when we are mindful to take up the challenge to join the mission to build God's spiritual temple, his church? Being mindful about having greater concern for God's house than our house leaves us filled full. If we want fulfillment, there's only one way to get it. It leaves us filled full of God's one, his heart. Haggai 2.3 says, God says to his people here, who of you is left who saw this, this uh, house in its former glory, Solomon's temple? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You know, it's very true for us that when we all of a sudden make a change in our priorities toward God, that the first thing we notice is a change of our heart. And we begin to recognize, okay, I'm seeking about trying to serve God in the building of his house, but how do I... How does my refilling glue bottles for Sunday school really make a difference? How, is what I'm doing really going to be significant for God? I mean, he deserves so much. And that's what we notice about these people. They recognize that gravity, and they were discouraged. Their heart was beginning to change. Look at 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 2. Very similar to, Paul, to, to uh, King David. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, just like these Jews were. Living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. He doesn't even have a house. And so God recognized and he acknowledged their change of heart. He recognized their discouragement. And he spends the rest of the book encouraging them. Being mindful about having greater concern for God's house than our house leaves us fill, filled full also of God's abiding presence. Here's his first encouragement, Haggai 2, 4 through 5, 5. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. What did he covenant? That he would be with them. And my spirit remains among you. It's never left, in essence. Do not fear. God wants to remind them, I'm with you. Whatever you put your hand to for me, for my kingdom, I'm with you as you do it. You fill those glue bottles, I'm with you as you do it. You take that child to the bathroom during Sunday school, I'm with you when you do it. You mow the lawns at the church, I'm with you when you do it. You share the gospel with your coworker, I'm with you when you do it. We've all been around people. I've been one of those people that I can go someplace and I'm present, but I'm not really there. There are people around, but because I'm so busy doing what I'm doing, I don't even acknowledge their existence. It's the same way. God never left. 
It's just that they became so busy with their activities of trying to make this, this earth their home that they totally ignored him. And it wasn't until they said, whoa, hey, God, look, you're here. Ah, you're right. We should be doing your work. That he begins to make his presence more ever more experienced by us. And God instills courage by reminding them that as they draw near to him, he draws near to them. In fact, Adrian last week said it so well, the most transformational influence in the world is the presence of God. Just put yourself in his presence. I'm convinced that God is more concerned that I draw nearer to him than I do better for him. Being mindful about having greater concern for God's house than our house leaves us filled full also of God's eternal significance. Haggai 2, 6 through 9 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. What do all nations desire? Peace. And I will fill this house that you're building with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. Don't worry about how ornate this thing is. That's all my stuff anyway. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God opened their eyes to the greater significance of this temple that they were building as the very one where God would proclaim peace to the nations. In fact, it was this very temple, this foundation that they had laid, that Jesus would stand and he would proclaim the gospel. That he would go and pay for the gospel, pay for our redemption on the cross. And then as a, a sign, uh, to signify that redemption taking place in this very temple that they're building, the, the curtain was torn to signify there is no barrier between God and man anymore. You are free to approach me. I am free to come out, which, by the way, was probably more scary to the Jews than the fact that they could go in, is that God is free to come out. This was the temple. Friends, everything we do, when we do it for the Lord, for the building of his temple, it has eternal significance. One little act of kindness to a person in need who's thinking about suicide may be the very thing that brings them to Christ And because you bring them to Christ in that moment, they will spend eternity with you in heaven. Because of your work, everything we do has a bearing on eternity. Now, I have a son, Isaiah, um, who at the age of 18 was crossing the street and was hit by a car, and his whole life changed. I asked him if I could share this. He said, that's fine. 
His whole life changed. He can't walk. He can't talk. He can't eat with the exception of he can eat ice cream and cotton candy, which, by the way, if you, if you can only eat two things, that's pretty good. <laughs> ice cream and cotton candy? He has to be fed by a tube otherwise. He can't go to the bathroom by himself. He can't dress himself. He can't bathe himself. He can't put himself to bed. But I look at him in the eye and say, Isaiah, when you smile at me, brother, it means something. When he gives me a hug, it means something. Mm. He can't do much. But I know when I ask him to pray, he prays. And those little things mean a lot to me, to his family to those who love him. Little things. Eternal significance. What I love about it is when I put him to bed sometimes, I'll, uh, I'll remind him, you know, Isaiah, you might spend maybe 70 years in this body that's broken, but one day you're going to get a new one. And it can do everything that you want it to do. And we are going to run. We are going to jump. We're going to dance. We're going to walk hand in hand. We're going to play. We're going to go visit Jesus. And we're going to talk to him. We're going to worship God. And we're going to be able to do that forever. Forever. So when you think about that 70-year span, it's a flash in the pan compared to eternity. If I live to be 100 years old and I spend, 100 year old, I spend the next 100 years in eternity, now it's only 50% of my life, of my existence. Stretch that out to eternity. My existence here for the first 100 years becomes infinitesimal. Why do we spend so much time wanting this place to be home when we have paradise waiting. God wants us to build his house. He wants as many as he can get there. Being mindful about having greater concern for God's house than our house leaves us filled full also of, of God's temporal blessings. Temporal blessings. Interesting, isn't it? Haggai 2.19 says, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, God says, from the day you set your hand to work at building my temple, I will bless you. He is a loving father. He wants good gifts for us. Matthew 6, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We may be tempted in our American materialism to think that God is actually blessing us. But I want to assure you, we already know that if 
our goal is to seek to find fulfillment and make this earth our home, and we put greater emphasis on our home than on building his home, he will not bless that. You know what that means? What that means is when we actually do choose to do that, oh, what is that blessing going to be like? God longs to bless us. He longs to bless us with temporal blessings. Being mindful about having greater concern for God's house than our house leaves us filled full also of God's assurance of final victory. And this was his last word of encouragement to them. Haggai 2, 21 to 23 tells the rubble governor of Judah that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. What he's doing is reminding them, you remember the days when I brought you out of Egypt? You remember all of the times that I rescued you from your enemies by my mighty hand? In the end, it's going to be forever. You will have final victory when the Messiah comes. And he goes on and says, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Recognizes Zerubbabel stands in the place that the Christ will stand when he returns as the governor, the ruler of his people. So Zerubbabel is a type or a symbol of the Christ who will reign upon his return. And in the end, we as God's people are eternally victorious. Unlike the work that we put into our own houses, the work that we put into his house is not in vain. If there's one thing I want you to remember in this message, it's this big idea. When we are mindful to maintain greater concern for God's house than for our own, he provides for the enjoyment of them both. Can we read that together? When we are mindful to maintain greater concern for God's house than our own, he provides for the enjoyment of them both. You see, like... Uh, a parent that finds joy when one of their children sets aside what they're doing and comes and joins them in their work at hand. That's the kind of joy that God feels when we join him in the work at hand of building his temple, his spiritual church. In fact, as you, if you reread uh, Haggai, and just keep rereading it, you begin to almost gain a sense that God is, is almost whimsical. He can't wait to bless them. He can't wait to show them his presence. He loves it. He's so excited when we do that. This is because as we prioritize God's temporal blessings that he gives us for the use of building his kingdom we become he knows that we're going to become joyful at heart he knows that the joy his joy will fill our hearts and all of a sudden now we have joy 
for his house and joy for ours because we're using our house for his glory. There are reasons each of us have that we might have for neglecting putting more concern on God's house than our own. But I want to I challenge you that regardless of what that reason is, it is short-sighted and it is incorrect. There may be some of us here who think, you know, I come to church every week because I, I, I want to feel good. You know, what you're talking about sounds like a lot of work. Or it might be that some of us are here, we, we fear that failure is inevitable. I, I can't do it. I know I'm going to screw it up somehow or another. Or it might be there's some of us here that think God's going to require more than I have to give. I'm already stretched thin. How much more does he want of me? I'm afraid if I give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Or maybe just the disbelief that God could possibly want to use me of all people. Or that God could even want to bless me. That God would want to bring joy to my life such that I've never known. Regardless of our hesitations, if we were to make that shift And we were to say, God, you're right. I've been enjoying my house at the expense of yours. I repent. Lord, show me where to put my hands to work for your kingdom. If we do that, recognize that the journey's begun, but it's not fully complete, right? There will be a change of heart. But it is a long process of God perfecting our faith. And it's not easy. But I will tell you that God will make his presence more known to you daily. I will tell you that God will instill an eternal perspective in you. I will tell you that God will provide his blessings in your earthly affairs. And I will tell you that he will build assurance of victory both over the persistent battles of the flesh in this life and any remnant of death or pain or heartache in the next. But it does require intentionality, breaking free of the incessant and downward spiral of materialism that, has, that requires no thought to join in. It just takes you there. No fewer than four times in this very short book is the statement, consider your ways. Haggai 1.5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Again, Haggai 1.7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think he's trying to drive a point home? 
Yeah. You know, literally what that is is set your heart upon your ways. Set your heart on your ways. Now stop and think of that. The question is, will my ways hold up under the weight of a heartfelt scrutiny? Were my ways built on a solid foundation or a foundation of sand? But the challenge to us is to give careful thought. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should Build with what? Care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of judgment that is, will bring it to light. God is imploring us to set our heart on our ways, to judge for ourselves our own ways while we still have time to correct course. Rather than wait until the end, the day of judgment, where he will judge our ways and we will have no opportunity to correct course. He goes on, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. What reward? We already talked about it. You're going to get to spend eternity in heaven with people whose lives you impacted because of your obedience. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. If a person gives their life to Christ on their deathbed, they'll be saved, but they won't have any reward. Don't you know that even you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. It is serious business. We must not settle for wood, hay, or straw because if we're not careful, we may end up finding that we spent our entire lives building on the wrong foundation entirely. When I thought I was working to build God's temple, I was actually working to destroy it. We must, be, we must be mindful not to neglect the building of God's house for the enjoyment of our own. We can enjoy our houses. God wants us to enjoy our houses. God longs for us to enjoy our lives. But he knows that we can never find true fulfillment apart from putting our hope in him. Join the mission. Join the people of Carney Evangelical Free Church in building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. You will not be disappointed. God himself will make certain of that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you.
that you call us. What a hard message for us Americans. Wow. There are so many things here that we can enjoy. So many things here that we think will bring ultimate joy, fulfillment. And it takes us away from you, Lord. It gets our eyes distracted off of you. Forgive us, God, for thinking that just one more thing would make us happy. Forgive us, Lord, for enjoying our own houses while you ask us to build yours, Lord. There are souls, souls that will be lost. If we don't join in your work, God, I don't know what that is for any one of us here. But I do know that it's a choice. I do know that it oftentimes requires sacrificing time doing something else that I want to do. But God, help us to understand. Help us to understand the souls that you long to embrace. Just like every one of us here. We give you the glory, Lord. Help us to use what you've blessed us with for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.